0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Just a quick note before today's episode. This summer, we're completing our series of introduction videos with our final season of filming, and we still need to raise about $30,000 to cover those costs, and we would love you to help us with that. And you can do that by visiting the Spoken Gospel website and clicking on Donate. And by doing that, you can contribute to bringing books like the Book of Revelation to life. And whether that's through a one-time gift or a monthly donation, your support Makes all the difference in the world. So thank you so much and enjoy today's podcast. Submit to death because only through death is there life. Yeah. That what you are in the sin of it, the flesh of it, its current kingdom, has to die in order for it to be risen and returned again anew.
1: Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a ministry that's dedicated to speaking the gospel out of every corner of scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples that every part of the Bible is about him. In each episode, hosts David and Seth work through a passage of scripture to see how it's all about Jesus and his good news. Let's jump in.
0: Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We are beginning our look at the book of Jeremiah, which I am very excited about. Seth, how are you feeling about that?
1: I'm feeling pretty excited. Yeah. Uh, Jeremiah is 5.2% of your entire Bible.
0: It's the longest book in the Bible. It is the longest book in the yes. Bible. Yes. Longer than Psalms. Yeah. Yeah. Not by chapter or verse number, but, but number of words it, and length on a scroll. It is. The longest book. It is book. very long. It's a uh, long book. So Genesis is a close second.
1: We've been studying for this for like over a month. <laughs> Uh, so I have been joking around the office that this is finals week. It's and, finals week. Um, yeah. I'm so going to test you. You're going to test me. <laughs> what is <laughs> Jeremiah 512? No. <laughs> uh,
0: well, that's great. Okay. So what's the, what's a great place for us to start as we think about the book of Jeremiah?
1: The, I mean, the first thing you need to know about the book of Jeremiah is that it's, Jeremiah is a prophet okay. delivering prophecies. So I'm sure we've had this discussion a couple of different times before, but we should just talk about what is prophecy like as a genre and like in its particulars. What is a, a biblical prophet?
0: Okay. And it sounds like there's two things there. Like one is prophetic literature. So a type yeah. of writing style, a yeah. type of book you might read. Yep. And then there's also like prophecy, like when it actually happened, what mm-hmm. was Jeremiah doing? That's right. So those are the
1: two things. Yeah, Which that's one right. do you want to start with? Let's start with just what is prophetic literature okay. because it's so fairly... These, these words on the page. Jeremiah in particular, is a series of prophecies he delivered over the course of 40 years Mm. in Israel to various different kings, to different people groups, to a whole bunch of different people throughout his ministry. And Jeremiah mentions his editor. His name is Baruch. And Baruch cobbles it all together and helps Jeremiah make a main point or thematically organizes his material Mm. so that we as readers can engage with Jeremiah's prophecies hundreds of years later and help understand what he was saying to the Kings in broader points about his prophetic agenda.
0: Okay. So should we think about it? Like, uh, like, Oh, you've got this preacher who's been preaching for 40 years and this is a collection of his sermons. Is it his greatest hits? Yeah. House of like, or it's like, no, he picked and chose Uh very specific sermons, very specific prophecies to make a, you kind of talked about this point. So like, Yes, How, what you talk about this editor Baruch. Like, yes, and he's so it's hard to think. Is it just like a loose connection? Like so, uh,
1: Jerem- So this is actually a fascinating question because Jeremiah, uh, according to all the scholars, is one that kind of resists a like a comprehensive message. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of debate about it. Is there a main point of Jeremiah, or is Jeremiah just a collection of? a really important prophet's writings. Yeah, Because when you read it, it's not in chronological order. It doesn't follow from King Josiah to King Jehoiakim to King Zedekiah. All the prophecies are stacked on top of each other. It's prophecy, like poetic prophecy, is mixed with prose and it's mixed with letters and has mixed with letters to jeremiah's editor so it's and not even
0: stylistically organized it's not
1: stylistically organized it's Not chronological
0: and, not stylistically organized and so
1: some people will point to the fact that jeremiah was written in a time of like pretty great political turmoil when jeremiah was a refugee and a prisoner and so the cobbled together nature makes sense of jeremiah's life Mm. At one time, he's exiled to Egypt and he almost goes to Babylon and he is in prison for a period of time. He's writing prophecies in prison. And so, as he's, these are all disjointed because they were, he lived in a disjointed time. Yeah. Um, Other authors will try to make a main point out of it. Mm. Um, The most convincing is uh, a guy uh, by, by the name of Shed. He wrote this book called A Mouthful of Fire, which okay. is a great title for a book. It a mouthful, really is a mouthful of fire, uh, and he talks about how um, God's word is the main character of mm. the Book of Jeremiah. So
0: this is one example of somebody trying to find a unifying theme,
1: right? And so what he'll say is that Jeremiah has large, or Baruch the editor, has largely grouped Jeremiah's words into four distinct categories where. God's word goes out to a particular person and affects a particular person. Mm. So in the first section, about the first 24 chapters, God's word goes to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah is personally affected by the weight of his message. Mm. So an example of this would be at one point in time, Jeremiah just starts weeping and wishing he was, had never been born because of the message of destruction he's bringing is so intense. Yeah. There's this deep, intense personal quality to these first 24 chapters. The next several chapters deal with God's words going to the religious and political leaders of Israel and how they disagree with it and fight Jeremiah on it and put Jeremiah in prison for it. The next section is God's word against the nation of Judah itself and destroying Judah and Judah going into exile. And the final chapters are God's word going against the nations and destroying all the nations hmm. that have oppressed Israel, including Babylon. Uh, so, and he's like, the point of the book of Jeremiah is to prove the power of God's word in the world. I see. Uh, so he, he makes sense of it that way. Yeah. Uh, which I think is pretty convincing, and God's word is a, a big theme in
0: the book of yeah. Jeremiah. So, I mean, how, what, where do you come down on it? Or do you think there is some kind of unifying message that Baruch <gasps> and Jeremiah were trying to achieve in the way they edited this quilt of prophecies together? Or is it just a cobblestone path through a prophet's life?
1: I want to believe there is a unified message to the book of jeremiah because i mean it took 40 years to collect all this material mm. and baruch having been intimately involved in jeremiah's life right. would want to steward these prophecies well and sure. so i would assume there's a unified message the best example i've read of a comprehensive like theme or point to jeremiah is shed's example mm. of like a theology of the word of god and what it does when it impacts the world and it, it holds up to yeah. Fairly well. Um, I don't have an idea better than that. Mm. Um, so I kind of agree that one of the main points of the book of Jeremiah is God's word impacting the world around it and people agreeing, disagreeing, and what happens when you mm. agree or disagree with God's word. I see. Um, and what
0: we're not saying there is that that's the theme of the book because not there's necessarily. other themes. There's yeah. bride and covenant and, right, mm. and, and uh, the temple and Babylon right. and exile. And, but you're saying that, the, that what we're, we're, we're trying to say here is that possibly the structural idea mm-hmm. was following the word of God as a character yep. throughout the Bible. Perhaps. I mean,
1: the phrase declares the Lord, it's mm. a really common phrase. This is the oracle of the Lord, or thus mm-hmm. declares the Lord.
0: Very a prophetic signature.
1: It, 60% of the times that phrase is used, it's used in Jeremiah. In the entire Bible, oh. 60% of the times that phrase is used is in Jeremiah. Whoa, Jeremiah uses the phrase, the word of the Lord, or mm-hmm. the words of the Lord, more than any other biblical author. So I think Shed makes a strong case yeah. that this, pro- this idea of God's word doing things in the world is a pretty profound main point of the book. Mm-hmm. But I, the more I got into the weeds of the argument, the more I was like, I think this is very powerful. It has a lot of explanatory power. but it's not everything the book sure. has to offer. Okay. And so that's where I'm, I... I w- love it. Where am I at the moment? I think it's a super great hypothesis. I'm all on board. The vibes are great. I'll keep grinding <laughs> that trade for as long as I can. But there's so much more we can talk about in yes. Jeremiah as well. Okay.
0: So we, we've talked about the literature. Um, yes. At least its structure. So you've got a, you've got a prophet who has a 40-year ministry, um, and these are the, the words he delivered. They've been written down and organized by an editor, Baruch, mm-hmm. and perhaps structured around this character of the Word of God moving to Jeremiah to the leaders to Judah and to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we go to what is a prophet, okay? Um, like why, like like prophetic literature? Like sure. then, like zoom out. We kind of have done like structure and mm-hmm. origin, mm-hmm. but. Um, what is the function of a prophetic book of the Bible? Is it to oh. teach me, you know, guide me, shape me, yes. make me worship, give me songs? Like- so that's tied up into
1: what the role, what a prophet is. Okay. So in Israel, the way God's people were governed were through kings at this period of time. And one of the main people that sat beside a king was a prophet. Prophets were part of the monarchical um administration yeah. of ancient Israel and ancient Judah. And what prophets did were they were, along with the priests, experts in the covenant. Mm-hmm. Expert is the covenant law laid out in Deuteronomy yeah. uh, and Leviticus and elsewhere. And their job was to confront and encourage the king to continue along covenant faithfulness to
0: to continue to lead his kingdom in line with the Torah and the law where that's that's right that's right so
1: like that was their main function to act as a covenantal interpreter and um, applicator like this is how our kingdom should apply the precepts and commands of the covenant for this new era now that we are Four hundred years past when yeah. Moses gave it on Mount Sinai. I don't know
0: enough about politics. You're okay. the poli sci major. I am the poli sci so, major. <laughs> uh, uh, is it is, is is like a good analogy, like like the Supreme Court or something? Oh. It like takes the Constitution and applies it to the governing of a nation. And is like that's in line. It's not in line.
1: That's it's, actually I've never thought about it that way. Okay. But it, it could. It very well could function that yeah. way. Or you, I'm like a, trying to just create a, a category, way of, a way of imagining it yeah. because. I mean, prophets would do more than what our Supreme Court does. Well, I mean, um, yeah. uh, but because, for example, like, should we go to war or not? Yeah, is a question the prophets would frequently be
0: because they would go listen to God. They would listen on God's Weigh behalf. the morality of that war with Torah, right? And, and do then, all of that and report back to the king.
1: That's right because they weren't just applying or interpreting the covenant; they were also acting as spokesmen for God. Right? right. That's right. Yeah, so that's why, why it's special like, office. So it's like, it, they do function like a Supreme Court. Uh-huh. So let's, let's just land the plane of okay. covenant interpreters. Like yes. They do act as a Supreme Court mm-hmm. in really, really specific ways. And so like, let me give you an example of like what I mean by that. Okay. So yeah. like in Deuteronomy, at the very end of Deuteronomy, chapter 28, uh, it lays out the blessings and the curses for obeying or disobeying yes. the covenant. So if Israel obeys, they'll be blessed in the city and they'll be blessed in the country the fruit of women's wombs will be blessed and the crops of their land and the young of their livestock will flourish. Baskets and kneading troughs will be blessed and all this great stuff will happen. So one of the rule things a prophet would do is say, King, if you continue on this path, you can expect this type of thing happen mm-hmm. in the future. God promised it. You may have forgotten that from your Bible reading, but this is what God promised.
0: Covenant obedience leads to covenant blessing. That's right. Okay.
1: Or if a king begins to go down a idolatrous path or a path that starts to reject God's law, he would remind them of covenant curses mm-hmm. such as this. Uh, verse 16 of chapter 28, you'll be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed. The crops of your land will be cursed. And very specifically for our purposes in Jeremiah, in verse 64, he says this, if you fail the covenant significantly enough, The Lord will scatter you among all the nations, from one end of the earth to the other, Mm. and there you will worship other gods, gods of wood and stone, which neither you, your ancestors have known. And among the nations, you will find no rest for the sole of your foot. The Lord will give you an anxious mind and eyes weary with longing. And so the covenant promised blessings for obeying the covenant Mm -hmm. and promised eventually it will lead to exile. So Jeremiah, as a prophet, is coming in at the very end of Israel as a monarchy and prophesying, interpreting, applying the covenant, saying, that promise that God made to Moses all those years ago, Mm -hmm. where you would be sent into exile, is finally coming true. Mm -hmm. I'm not just reading the political tea leaves. I'm reading the covenant carefully. I've seen what Israel's done over the course of its history. And this covenant curse, this covenant consequence, is finally coming to pass. Israel will be destroyed.
0: God's word made a promise. That's right. And now God's word will accomplish that promise.
1: That's right. And as a prophet, it was his job to remind Israel, like, this is what God said he would do. Mm. Expect it. Um, And in particular, submit to it. Submit to God's exile.
0: Okay. So that's what the prophet was doing in the king's court. Yep. He was being an arbiter of the covenant, reminding him of covenant curses, Mm -hmm. trying to get him to either repent, return, Mm -hmm. or just warning him of doom in general. That's right. Because it was written down in the law that he is the Supreme Court. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. uh, But then why take those warnings that were written down, and um, I know a bit about the book of Jeremiah that then came to pass, Mm -hmm. why write them down if it all happened? Like why 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 have the literature and not just the prophet?
1: Let me make sure I understand your question. Are you saying like why do we need prophetic literature if a prophet was existing at that time?
0: Uh, if if the point of the prophet was to speak to the king and warn him, mm-hmm. and this king these yep. kings didn't listen. In yep. Jeremiah, you know, some yep. of them eventually Babylon comes, destroys Israel. Spoiler alert, uh, <laughs> and uh, and so. Jeremiah's prophetic ministry to the king and to mm-hmm. Judea is over. That's right. Um, so why do we need to be party to that conversation okay. centuries later?
1: Yes, yes. Okay, well, one—
0: Why read the book?
1: Why read the book if yeah. it was all written to an audience? That's not us. Yeah. Okay, well, one, Jeremiah does have prophecies addressed to the people. Mm. So at one point in time, he sends letters to the exiles who have been sent into Babylon, presumably Daniel. Daniel mm-hmm. references the prophecies of Jeremiah and right. prays to God, asking for them to come true. Right. Because Jeremiah doesn't just prophesy destruction. He also prophesies um, a return from exile, which, by mm-hmm. the way, so is, part the covenant, yeah. is part of the covenant. It's part of the covenant. The covenant says that after exile, I will return you to the land. It's always been the, the word of God's promise. So Jeremiah's prophesying that in the future, God's covenant that he promised hundreds of years ago will come true. Mm. So anyway, yeah. uh, and he's writing that to people as well. Who but, are
0: not the king, not but the, king. the future. That's right. Uh, people in exile.
1: That's right. But you have to remember that the nation of Israel, headed up by its king, represented the people of God. Mm-hmm. This wasn't just a king of any old nation. This was the, God's chosen nation to bless the entire world. So the failures of the king were representative of the failures of all the people king wasn't the only one sinning. Mm. The king was the first sinner, leading the rest of the nation to follow his example. So when Jeremiah is confronting the king, he is, in fact, confronting all God's people. He's saying, not oh, just the king that's unfaithful. All mm-hmm. God's people have been unfaithful, and all of us need to repent of the ways that we've been idolatrous, failed to obey God's commands, and have rejected god's love for us right and so we need as a nation to repent not just the king but all of us yeah um does that answer your yeah, question Yeah, it does
0: it's like why did why why read this book why was it written down why was it distributed yes you know it's like oh because in a sense we're all covenant breakers in need of a warning of destruction and the promise of restoration
1: right that's right even and today that's right that's right and if you are a christian part of god's people hmm there is a sense in which, like, we as Christians need to repent yeah. of things collectively that are the fault of our leaders. You yep. know, like, this yep. happens all the time. Churches can be complicit in c- certain evils or wrongs mm. or idolatries. And the whole church needs to repent, not just the pastor. Right. Right? That's the same right. thing was true of ancient Israel and its mm. king. Okay. What is prophecy? It is mm-hmm. an interpretation and application of covenant. But it is also, as we already hinted at, speaking on god's behalf right so this isn't just um acting as a supreme court mm-hmm. determining whether things are constitutional and reminding israel of what god said in the past would that would happen Yep. it's also speaking on god's behalf saying new things mm-hmm. to god's people that perhaps have not been said before right and interestingly like a lot of prophets the way that that message would come across is not just in words not just in prophecies but also in like the, their lives, their lives would become like living symbols mm-hmm. of what God would do to Israel. So, for an example, Jeremiah two verse thirteen says, "My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that hold no water." So, this is God's rebuke of Israel. They are like broken. A cistern is like how you would hold a water catchment system. It would hold mm-hmm. water, like a broken water cistern that's leaking water everywhere and provides no life for anyone. You're failing the blessing. You're not blessing the world like you're covenant. You were
0: supposed to, to be a reservoir for my blessing, mm-hmm. and instead it's just seeped out of you, and you're dry, and no one can benefit from you. That's right. Okay.
1: Um, and Jeremiah embodies this broken cisternness of God's people by, at one point, being thrown into a cistern himself. Mm -hmm. His feet get sucked down into the mud, and he's in prison in this living metaphor for what God's people have become. Mm -hmm. These cracked cisterns that hold no water, that can bless no one. Sinful, dry, empty Arab. And Jeremiah, as a spokesman for God, is speaking this against God's people and then living it as a matter of his, Mm -hmm. like a a fact of his life.
0: The word of God does not just work itself out in what he says but what he does
1: that's right like so in very a very real way jeremiah embodies the life of an exile before it even happens
0: oh yes i mean so he's
1: like he's in a pit Mm -hmm. in the mud forsaken forsaken just as israel will soon be when they go into Mm -hmm. into babylon yeah a living picture of god's promise that's right okay that's right yeah helpful Yeah, another way that that happens in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 16, God tells Jeremiah to to not get married, to have no children, to attend no funerals, and attend no weddings. Man, what a fuddy duddy. I know. His (laughs) life was supposed to be a picture of a living, of death. Mm. There's no marriage and death. Funerals are a part of the social fabric. There's no social life. There's no mourning because there's nothing to mourn anymore. Israel's gone into exile. Mm-hmm. Um, no families left. Yeah. God's, God's done with Israel. And so he is supposed to embody that exile in his own social life.
0: Um, that's a heavy, that's a really heavy, depressing calling to put on someone's life. very
1: depressing. Yeah. Um, we'll get into this in a little bit, but... Part of the reason it's so depressing is that Jeremiah is prophesying during the reign of Josiah up to the exile. Okay. And the king before Josiah, two kings before Josiah, was a man named Manasseh. Okay. And he was, the Book of Kings paints him as the worst king in Israel's history. His name means uh, forgetful or forgotten. And he forgets all the commands of the Torah. He enters into this relationship with Assyria imports all of its gods and goddesses, starts killing his own children to their gods, encourages Israel to sacrifice their own children to secure political alliances with Assyria. And God says, because of your sins, Manasseh, Israel, Judah, will go into exile, and Mm. it is inevitable. So much so that when Josiah finally becomes king... And finds a copy of God's law and starts reinvigorating following the Torah. He cuts off Assyrian alliances. He gets rid of all the idols in Israel. A prophetess comes up to him and says, no matter how obedient you are, you cannot overturn the coming exile. Why? God promised that there would be a turning point, a breaking point. A
0: point of no return. A point of no return. Yeah.
1: And after that point of no turn, you would go into exile. So no matter your obedience to you, Josiah. You, you,
0: Israel already crossed the threshold. Right. You you're, will you're, go into you're exile. You're falling down the pit. Right. It doesn't matter how much you flail. So
1: the reason why <laughs> Jeremiah's life is so tragic mm. is that there is no hope of not going into exile.
0: So many other prophets we read beg for repentance. Mm-hmm. Repent that the Lord might turn back. You know, yeah. repent that you might be saved um not every prophet does that mm-hmm. uh but is that not present in jeremiah it is present okay
1: but you can't avoid the exile first I see so it's so.
0: it's not repent so that this thing doesn't happen mm-hmm. it's repent so that
1: it's repentant so this is interesting okay this we well, can. Uh, i'm excited that we get to talk about this so in the book of deuteronomy In chapter 28, it outlines all the covenant commands and curses. Do this, you'll be blessed, do this, and you'll go into exile. Right? Yep. Deuteronomy chapter 30 says, but after you come into exile, after you go into exile, I will return you to the land. Right. And after you spend a period of time uh, atoning for your sins in exile, I will return you to this land and give you everything that you once had. Right. So the old covenant, the, the covenant that God gave to Moses, anticipates a time of a point of no return of idolatry and apostasy, of going into exile and an eventual returning. Right? A
0: life, a death, a burial, and a resurrection. That's
1: right. <laughs> Something like that. Something like that. And Jeremiah is saying, "We know what the covenant says. Yes, we know that in order to get back to our land, we must first go to. We must first die. Mm-hmm. And so he's calling Israel to that covenantal death that was predicted in the time of Moses, so that they might be resurrected back into um, uh, the, the promises that God has for God's people.
0: So obedience in Jeremiah at a meta level, I'm sure he also wants them to stop like sacrificing their children to false gods yeah. and things, but at a meta level, it's, um, Sub- endure the coming Babylonian or submit or to it, submit to it and then believe in a resurrection, a, a communal resurrection, believe in a return. Yeah. Cause I know that's also an important word in Jeremiah return. Yep. Yeah. Um,
1: Return to God, return to covenant faithfulness. Yeah.
0: And then God will return you to the land.
1: That's right. Yeah. And what's fascinating is that returning to God, that returning to covenant faithfulness means embracing death. It means embracing the yoke of Babylonian oppression. Yeah, Like that is what must happen in order for God's covenant to be fulfilled. So
0: yeah, that that makes sense then why it is such a depressing call to put on Jeremiah Mm -hmm. because he's not calling them to revival... And happy, clappy worship meetings and no. like, let's return back to all the old festivals and build the temple even better and everything will be great in here in Israel. It's his best case scenario is death. Yeah. He's calling people to accept mm-hmm. the death that God has promised he'll bring on Israel. That's
1: right. And basically <sighs> yeah. the loss of an entire generation. So he'll prophesy years, that yeah. they'll spend 70 years in exile. hmm Um, so it's like, even if you had a young guy in his twenties, like, I believe the message of Jeremiah, I believe God will return us to this land. Right. It is not likely you would have lived through to the restoration. Not in those days. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Man. Okay. I mean, I've heard that Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. Yeah. Is, I mean, is this, is this the reason it? Yeah. This is one of the main reasons. This is the call you've put on my life, God. Like, that's really hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is comforting in its own way that. Right. God could commission somebody to do something that kind of breaks them. Yeah. You know, that's just not the easiest thing in the world to do. Yeah. I feel like that sometimes, not to this level at all, but <laughs> right. Yeah, that's an impossible task. Yeah, that's yeah. that's helpful. Okay, we talked that's it, the depressing prophecy. That's the
1: depressing prophecy. That's what he's doing as a spokesman for God, applying the covenant to this particular place in their religious and political history, mm-hmm. living in exile before it happens. And we've already said this implicitly, but he's predicting the future. Yep, part of prophecy is actually predicting the future. Mm-hmm. In the very first chapter, he'll talk about this boiling pot coming from the north and the idea is the boiling pot is spilling out and the boiling water is just burning and scarring and scorching the land as it comes Mm. and that boiling pot one of the people of the pot is babylon Mm -hmm. who will come down and burn jerusalem to the ground yeah and so he's predicting that the exile that god predicted hundreds of years before that had no name attached to it Mm -hmm. now has a name yeah your exile will come at the hands of babylon
0: exile thy name is babylon yes (laughs) okay yes
1: so and that's what a prophet prophecy is (laughs) and how it plays out of the book of jeremiah and you go lay down for an hour yeah
0: (laughs) okay all right what else do we need to know as we talk through like introducing us to the book of jeremiah
1: well i think we should just talk through like so what was happening on mm-hmm. the ground in Jeremiah's day? Yeah, wow. you had
0: you had Manasseh, mm-hmm. then you, then two kings later you had Josiah. So yep. you had like the worst and the point of no return. Yep, you're definitely going into exile. Can no I prove
1: what. to you that Manasseh is the point of no return?
0: Yeah, I really I didn't believe you. You didn't so. believe me
1: before. <laughs> let me let me read this to you. This is Second uh, Chronicles thirty three nine. So okay. end of Second Chronicles. But Manasseh led Judah and the people of Jerusalem astray, so that they did more evil the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. So the, mm. the most evil uh, leader in Israel's history. Second Kings one six says this, Moreover, Manasseh shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end beside the sins that he had caused Judah to commit. So they did evil in the Lord's eyes. Mm. And then when Jeremiah finally comes on the scene, he says, I will make uh, Judah abhorrent to all the kingdoms of the earth because of what Manasseh Son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, did to Jerusalem. Mm. So, like Manasseh is this point of no return, and Jeremiah is prophesying after that fact. And in a really real sense, like there's no atonement left for Judah. Right. They can only deepen their guilt or submit to God's consequence, Mm -hmm. submit to God's curse by going into exile. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, point of no return. Point
1: of no return happens. Manasseh. Um, there is a very short period of time where Manasseh's son, Ammon, takes the throne. He's only in power for uh, two years, and he's assassinated very quickly, so he doesn't get much airtime in Jeremiah. Mm -hmm. And then we get Josiah, who comes to the stage. Yes. And Josiah is eight years old, when he becomes king.
0: Rock on. Great yep.
1: young leader. Obviously, at that point of his reign, he, his, his country is ruled by regents, people who are older than him. However, when he becomes of ruling age mm. at about 20 years old, he institutes all these religious reforms. He starts renovating Israel's spiritual life. He gets rid of all the idols. He ends Assyrian um, alliances. And when he's 20 years old, Jeremiah's 20 years old. And so they are roughly 20 years old. So they are contemporaries and they together understand that Israel's called to faithfulness mm. and is called to a faithfulness that won't produce restoration. So
0: they're both in a real fun spot.
1: Both in a real, real fun spot. But Man. what's interesting is you actually don't hear, no prophecies in Jeremiah are tied to that period of Josiah's hmm. reign, even though they were contemporaries, even though Josiah reigned for... like 20 years alongside Jeremiah. So even though Jeremiah prophesied for about 15, 20 years Mm -hmm. alongside Josiah, we don't get any prophecies attributed to that time, Hmm. which is really interesting. Yeah, My guess as to the reason why these prophecies are not included is simply because Josiah and Jeremiah were on the same page. They were both calling Israel to faithfulness and they both kind of understood the inevitable fall of Judah. And so they were just, sympatico in that way and so when jeremiah does prophesy it's generally um to kings who disagree with him and it's yeah. the conflict that stirs up between between
0: them i remember when i was studying for the introduction video yes. for jeremiah uh one of the commentators i read talked about jeremiah as the prop- the propaganda wing of josiah yeah and yeah. not in a bad way no no, no that's, that's but good. it was like jeremiah was like or josiah was setting out all these reforms And Jeremiah, the prophet, was his mouthpiece. Yes. And so it was like this campaign. I mean, imagine trying to go from edge to edge in this kingdom, rooting out evil, knocking down idols. You would need to spread that message of repentance and change and reform and the word of God. And, you know, that could have been that young, fiery season of two co-laborers taking over the kingdom. And it's like, well, that's not what Jeremiah is about about right. like reform and tear down the idols it's about the coming doom that's right inevitable and that might not have been the hallmark of that period of their ministry
1: what's interesting is aside from the very beginning of Jeremiah's ministry when he's commissioned the first 24 chapters of Jeremiah do not have any dates assigned to them the first mm. date we get after Jeremiah's commissioning is Jeremiah 25 during the reign of Jehoiakim so it's possible mm. that those first 24 chapters where Jeremiah has this really shocking language that Israel is this adulterous bride yeah. rejecting God's, God's affectionate love for her is part of that propaganda campaign. Yeah, totally. He is trying to shock the people back towards faithfulness. To God. That's why um,
0: College David loved Jeremiah yeah, right. one to twenty four. Uh, it's
1: like the temple is corrupt. The t- everything's corrupt. Burn it all down. That's Jeremiah's yeah. first couple of years. Yeah, uh, that's great. First couple. Of Sounds like my first couple of years yeah. in ministry too. <laughs> um. So that is like. Uh, so Jeremiah and Josiah are living alongside each other. But what's interesting about Josiah is that Josiah ends a remarkable a reign of faithfulness to God. By not listening to God, yeah,
0: he ends on a downer.
1: He ends on a downer, and very specifically, he so he makes his bread and butter by denying um, a, an alliance with Assyria and denying Assyrian gods. Right. The very very end of his reign, Assyria by that time has dwindled down as Babylon rises to power. As mm-hmm. Babylon's rising to power, it's eating up this, this Assyrian empire. Assyria is a shell that it once was, but mm-hmm. there is an outpost of Assyrian forces just north of Judah. And at the very end of Josiah's reign, Assyria is under attack by Babylon, and Egypt goes to Assyria's aid to stop Babylon from encroaching on Assyrian territory. But Josiah is dead set against this, so much so that he he goes to war with Egypt to stop them helping the Assyrians, even though God specifically told Egypt to go help the Assyrians and protect them. So, here's what's crazy about all this. We don't know all the motives as to why Josiah did this. But what it seems as if, what we do know of Josiah, is that he was trying to protect Judah from Assyrian influences. And he didn't want uh, Egypt to protect them. Right. Josiah assumed the best way Judah would be preserved.
0: Is for Assyria to get wiped off the map by is, Babylon.
1: Is for Assyria to get wiped off the map. And so he replaced his idea of what Judean sovereignty should look like with what the voice of God was saying. Mm. And so the reason I say that is the next kings, Jehoiakim, jehoiachin and Zedekiah, are all marked by rebellion against Babylon and other forces. Mm. We don't have as much con- like as much evidence to suggest there was rampant idolatry in israel but there there was some there was still some but what we do get is a rejection of babylonian power a rejection of egyptian power we get a whole bunch of like judean nationalism Hmm. to such an extent that it seems as if they're trying to protect god's nation at the expense of following God's laws. Because
0: God, God has said, I'm destroying this nation. I'm destroying this so nation. So they're not listening. So they're Just not like listen. Josiah didn't do at the end of his reign. It's exactly. I see right. what you're doing. So okay.
1: Jeremiah keeps saying, You must submit to Babylon. Right. You must
0: go under their yoke. My best buddy, Jos- Josiah, did this at the end of his life and he That's was right.
1: shot by an arrow That's right. by the word of God. So instead <sighs> of submitting to God's punishment, mm. they're protecting their nation. Yes. And they're. Bi- at, at any cost. At any cost. Mm. So the more they protect Judean sovereignty, the less likely will be that the new covenant blessings of returning to the land will happen. Mm. So Jeremiah keeps telling the kings, submit to Babylon, go into slavery. Uh, The The funny way to put that
0: would be that like Jeremiah's prophetic career is trying to get the kings of Israel to rush to their death. Because then the 70-year clock can start. That's right. And he's like, you just keep pushing back the timeline of when we can come back. We're doomed here. We need to go to the grave of exile so that we can come back. That's right. And we're only going to be fighting a losing battle until we submit to the word of God, even if that means the destruction of Israel and our temple.
1: Yes. That's fascinating. Super fascinating. And you can kind of, and so Jeremiah was seen as a traitor. Oh, absolutely! He's like you're telling all of our troops to stop fighting. Right, you're a traitor to our nation, Jeremiah. Yeah. If
0: we did what you are saying, us, like telling us to do, we would lose our border, lose our country, lose our mm-hmm. capital, lose what's most important to us. You're, you're telling us to let the enemy troops invade and just put down our
1: weapons. You're telling us to live in Babylon and bless Babylon by right. building societies there. It, at one point, Jeremiah says, "Seek the peace of Babylon." Right. That's insane. Christine was really helpful in this. She said. One way to get inside the head, the analogy breaks down is like just imagine um, your, your prophet in Ukraine mm, right now yeah. telling Ukraine to submit to Russia. Oh, right. You, I would, mean,
0: even if we heard of somebody doing that over here, we'd be like, get that guy off the street.
1: So there yeah. is a real sense, like, I mean, you, I feel that one. Yeah. It's like, obviously the, the, uh, like Ukraine's not God's people. No, Russia yeah, is yeah, yeah, not yeah. Babylon. It breaks down. It breaks down very quickly. But the idea. That's the
0: offensive nature of the message. It's
1: like, there's this impoverished people that's being attacked on all sides. By a world power. By a world power. These people are innocent. Yep. Presumably. Right. God's people. They're God's people. Right. And you're telling them to, su- to surrender, mm. to submit. To an evil power that likes to take the skins of their enemies and place it on the walls of their Mm. cities? No. Yeah. So that's what Jeremiah is prophesying. And that's what he does throughout the reigns of all of Israel's final kings. And all of them, like Josiah before him, try to protect Judah until they dissolve into exile. Wow.
0: Okay, so that's what's going on. That's the message of Jeremiah. That's the prophetic nature of his message. Mm-hmm. What else do we need to set up before we dive into chapter one? Or have you set up the categories? That I you think
1: wanted? that's everything we really need to know as we get into Jeremiah. Um,
0: Man, amazing. I mean, so some of, the, some of my first observations. Can okay. I make some yes, just please. like yes, outsider please. observations here as I step into this book with you? Uh, obviously, the one thing I've already hinted at that, you know, tongue in cheek, but now we can actually talk about yeah. it. Is the death, burial, resurrection like message of Jeremiah mm-hmm. is submit to death because only through death is there life? Yeah, that what you are in the sin of it, the flesh of it, its current kingdom it has to die in order for it to be risen and returned again anew. Yeah. And that's like that's the picture of the gospel. It is. We are the we are this fleshly enslaved to the kingdom of this world, person, and in the cross we die in Christ, and so that we can raise a new creation and return to His kingdom, yeah. as full cisterns ready to bless the world instead of empty ones, yeah. Uh, so that's beautiful.
1: It is super beautiful, and there's we'll talk about this probably more in our third or fourth episode here. But what's interesting, as I said before, in Moses' covenant he prophesies that there will be an exile and there will be a return from that exile. Part of old covenant faithfulness is submitting to exile in hope of return. Right? Ever since the beginning. Ever since the beginning. But what's fascinating about Jeremiah is he calls that acceptance of death mm. and that restoration, not the old covenant. He calls it the new covenant. Mm. And he's the only Old Testament author to refer to a new covenant. Mm. Jeremiah is the only person who talks about a new covenant. Wow. And he refers to it while talking about what the Old Covenant promised. That, do, you, do you see what I I'm see saying what there? Saying. So I think it's really interesting that there's this like continuity between, Jeremiah understands that return, mm. that Old Covenant promise that we'll return to land is something entirely new that's happening. But it was part of the Old. But it was part of the Old. Yeah, there's continuity is what you There's you're continuity yeah. there, and to what you're saying, it's like Old Covenant faithfulness demands death. Right. And New Covenant faithfulness begins In death. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I... Oh, yeah.
0: I mean, I'm I'm having flashbacks to like four years ago when you and I were walking through Deuteronomy. Yes. And we talked about this, that the law, as you read it and meditate on it, especially at the end of it, where it tells you you are going to break the law and go into exile only to return. Yeah. Like, it totally begs the question that Torah obedience Mm -hmm. doesn't just mean uh, doing what it says to do. Mm -hmm. It's also, and Paul brings this up, in Romans 7 is it is meant to show us that we can't yeah that we must die and that we must rely on the life-giving power of God mm-hmm. to actually do the saving yeah that the the Torah was not legalistic right it admitted that we couldn't keep it yeah and it threw itself upon the resurrecting mercy of God mm-hmm. in Deuteronomy. Right. The law is not legalistic. We are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It trained us from the beginning to depend on God's grace. Yeah. And so ever, that's why ever since the beginning, people could throw themselves on the mercy of some kind of resurrecting God that became right. Jesus. Yeah. Like, so, uh, yeah, it's fascinating.
1: Yeah. One of the other ways I've been thinking about this, this idea is that, so what is exile? Mm. Like maybe more on a more meta level, it like. Exile is God's curse. Yeah. It is God's wrath, Yes. right? Yeah. So in order to be resurrected, we must submit to God's wrath or someone must submit in our place right. to God's wrath, right? Someone must be cursed and exiled for us if we want to have a life that's like life after dead, mm-hmm. right? With that in mind, first, it's like we have texts that tell us that Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath in our place so that we might have a new covenant. Jesus himself says, this is a new covenant and he could only be quoting Jeremiah in my spilled blood. Mm. Right. And so we must drink his death until he comes. If we want any part of his new kingdom. Right. And if
0: that hinge point of continuity between old and new covenant is that Deuteronomy 30, you know, 28 Mm -hmm. to 30 moment that you were talking about where it's like, there's exile and death and then return Mm -hmm. and Jesus and, and, you know Jeremiah hops in and he's like, "That's the where the new co- the old covenant and new covenant meet Yes. is in exile yes. in death." Then when Jesus says, "This is the new covenant of my blood," he's like, "I'm the one who died for you. I went. Yeah. I did the death part. I did the exile part. Right. I did the curse part for you, so that's you right. can get the return." Yeah, man, that's amazing. The other thing I've been thinking about with this, thinking about like what is exile mm-hmm. and this pattern that Jeremiah is focusing on here, is it's how the Bible starts. Okay. Right. It starts with oh, exile. That's right. It is the curse, like yep. as you said. Like yep. it is God's wrath. Yep. Is we were with God, we broke the like the little law they had and mm-hmm. they were exiled from his presence. But then what do you get right after that? you 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 start getting promises and covenants mm-hmm. and plans and the initiative of God to get you back into the garden, yeah, so that's always been the pattern of the Bible since the first twelve mm-hmm. chapters is being in god's land, mm-hmm. breaking God's law, going to death through exile from that presence, yeah. only to have him bring him bring you back in grace, yeah, that's the pattern of the Bible yeah uh. I mean, can I just throw like a bomb question to you? See, I, like, Yes. why does God do it that way?
1: Why does he demand death before life? Yeah, like, <laughs> why <laughs> this cycle? Why do we have to pick up our cross? Why yeah. do we lose our life to yeah. find it? It's yeah. just
0: like, a, it's, a, it's a fun maybe meditation to end on.
1: Yeah, like, I mean, it demands like humility and dependence. Any other method that doesn't demand a total death of all your hopes, dreams, aspirations, earnings, mm. you'd be able to look back and like, be able to say that you earned your salvation
0: pat yourself on the back a little bit You pat
1: yourself on your back and as soon as one person starts patting himself on the back it creates favoritism Mm. it creates inequity it creates corruption i can do it you can't right the most important relationship in the universe is our relationship with the god who wants to remake the world if that is based on something we can do Mm. in a lifetime it will always create corruption it will always create inequity it will always create brokenness on earth mm. but if it's only by grace if,
0: it's, if, the, if the ground is level at the foot of the cross if it's
1: only by dying and raising from the dead yeah. there can actually be a true kingdom that does not oppress its citizens like israel right. kept doing yeah there can be a true kingdom that like actually has edenic life on earth mm. um and that's what jesus is beginning
0: i love that yeah i don't think i thought of it that way the, the thing that came to my mind which i think is also cool is the, the idea of Felix Culpa, right? The fortunate okay. fall. Okay, uh, yes. So Felix Culpa means fortunate fall. Like that, and the, the phrase is, fortunate fall that gained for us so great a redeemer. Mm-hmm. That, that God is most glorified yeah. in raising us from the dead, in saving dead things, exiled right. things, worthless things, than he would be in saving perfect, right. unspoiled, deserving things right. and it's like he lets us you know yeah. go into exile so that he can show us that he loves us even when we're dead yeah even when we're separated forsaken right. unwanted undeserving is that yeah. he gets more glory he's seen as mm-hmm. he truly is which is infinitely loving yeah and infinitely merciful and forgiving he gets to show off his character um right by letting us show off ours <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: And by demanding death, that means everyone can get in.
0: Yeah. Oh, because everybody can die. Everybody can <laughs> die.
1: Not everyone can live a perfect life.
0: Yeah. Um, Man, that's fascinating. And, uh, yeah. So anyway, closing off that thought and just thinking about what we did with Jeremiah too is, is like just thinking of ourselves as Jeremiah's. Okay. In his message. Yes. We have the same message.
1: We're calling people to come and die.
0: Come and die. Take up your cross. You have to die. Yeah. If you want to live. Um, and we kind of mean that in two ways, in, in a mm-hmm. sense, you know, we mean that in you have to die to the human of sin that you are right yeah. now. Um, and God, so, so that God can remake you and mm. and change you. Uh, and then also, you probably will die here on this earth. Right. But there's life on the other side. Yeah. And And so it is interesting as Christians that we also are harbingers of death in a sense Mm -hmm. but not in gloom and doom fire and brimstone yeah but in infinite grace resurrection life return hope and glory right uh so which is probably the only thing that even remotely kept jeremiah getting out of bed every morning right waking up in the cistern
1: we'll (laughs) talk about this in a future podcast but it's like jeremiah um didn't have kids didn't get married didn't attend Mm -hmm. funerals didn't attend weddings right uh Jesus never got married, right. he never had a family, and every time he went to a funeral, he raised the dead, <laughs> and every time he went to a wedding, he made it better, yeah. uh, and there's a real sense in which, like, Jesus, so in the same way that Jesus, or Jeremiah, embodies the life of an exile, Jesus begins to embody the life of the return. <sighs> Um, uh, uh, and this is, uh, uh, this is, this is all thanks to Christine and she, and this is the, the life of the return and the life that we get to embody as well. Uh, so, all right, we can end on that Thank you, now that I'm finally crying. <laughs>
0: Oh, well, thank you guys for joining us um, in this introduction to the book of Jeremiah. Next time, we're going to jump into the first uh, chapter and the, the call whole, of Jeremiah the prologue and the prologue, the whole, whole which book. sets up a lot of the themes and uh, should be really great getting the actual text a little bit more. So thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.
1: Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel creates short films, devotionals, and podcasts like this one. Everything we make is free because of generous supporters like you. To see our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. See you next time.